Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones their hearts and understand that I will love them. I will love them while I still can. Welcome, everyone, to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I am thrilled to death to be with you this evening. Uh, anyways, it's evening where I'm at. For my guest, it'll be uh, early in the morning. Um, at our core, just to let you know, because we get new audience all the time, um, who we are. And basically, at Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And at our core, we believe collaboratively we can win this battle against dementia. And I know we're making a difference from all of our supporters on our multiple platforms, um, thanks to ShareCare and Dr. Oz naming us as the number one online influencer for Alzheimer's disease. And that has to do with all of us um, working together to spread the word and listen to all of the voices that are so critically important to us regarding Alzheimer's disease and dementia. We believe that, again, by joining forces and sharing our knowledge and just having these simple, everyday conversations about life with dementia, that we're going to be able to remove the stigmas that are attached to memory loss. And that, in turn, will help with the severe isolation that people feel. Together, we can help everybody understand the true needs of this disease not just the myths, but really what's going on in everyday life so that we can develop products, services, and tools to help those in need. This year we just launched Dementia um, Friendly Businesses and Communities, and we are really excited about harnessing the education and awareness portion of that and helping companies build their brand and develop better service models um, for dealing with dementia because dementia is out in the world. It just isn't always identified. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today as well. So together, you know, we can give hope and get rid of this fear monger that seems to push our societies at large and, again, teach people how to live with this disease, not as it. If you'd like to join the conversation, we would love to have you. Um, if you signed in by Facebook, you'll be able to communicate via the chat box. Otherwise, you can always call in live to the show, and that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. Now, we've got two great guests today. Um, our first guest is over in Australia, and our second guest is from Saudi Arabia. So, And I'm over here in Minnesota in the U.S. So 
Um, Kate Swaffer is our first uh, our first guest, and she is an author, um, but she's also diagnosed with dementia. She actually got the diagnosis at the age of 49, and she's now 54, and she's happily married, and she has two sons, 23 and 22. Previously, she worked as a nurse, and um, she worked with the elderly and people in dementia care in operating um, theaters um, also for 25 years. And then her career changed, and she became a chef. And she worked in her own hospitality business for 10 years and then worked in healthcare sales. And so she's done quite a bit. And right now she uh, completed her BA in Creative and Professional Communications, which is pretty exciting. She has her bachelor's um, in psychology, and she's still um, a university student trying to complete her BA with honors in dementia. So I just think it's absolutely fantastic. She now works as an advocate for the aging and dementia, and she's a speaker, and she's published this just beautiful, beautiful book. And so I want to um, welcome um, Kate to the show. How are you doing, Kate? Hi, Laurie. I'm really well, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, I am thrilled to death to have you. It's it's always fun um, to hear everybody's story and um, you know how life is going, and it, it, the power behind so many people with dementia, and the things that they're doing. I think I know it amazes me, and it shouldn't. After 30 years of living this journey with my mom, but there is just such a voice that needs to be heard, and you have just a beautiful one with your writing and and all of the things that you do. So I'm I'm just thrilled to death that you can join us today. Can you tell us a little bit what what it was like living, you know, I shouldn't say what it was like, what it is like living with a diagnosis of dementia? Oh, that's an interesting question, Laurie. I, I think that uh, how I'm living with it now compared to how I lived with it straight after diagnosis is very different. Um, and I think like Richard Taylor when he was uh, first diagnosed, he wrote that he cried for uh, some weeks non-stop and I had that same experience and um, at my age it was a shock to think that I had a disease that I that even though I worked in dementia care I really did think it was an old person's disease and of course it's not. Um, so the shock of that, the shock of the fact that it's is a terminal illness, which I don't think I'd really acknowledge that when I was nursing because I nursed older people. Um, the shock that, you know, I, I one day might not recognise my family, my friends, and maybe not even myself in the mirror one day, that's all pretty shocking uh, stuff to be confronted with. Um, but... I started, like Richard, I took a a leaf out of his wonderful book and I started writing about it, initially just my own personal journey and then I was invited to speak out about it and from there it kind of snowballed and um, I really believe it's imperative that we speak out so that others understand the human cost of dementia and the only way that you can understand what it's like 
inside the world of a person with dementia is if I do invite you into my world and speak out about what it's like. Well, it is, uh, you know, the things that I have learned from people with dementia has just been absolutely incredible. And the Dementia Chats webinar that we do, um, that's one of the comments we get all the time from people. They are just, they're just absolutely flabbergasted because people really don't know what your world is like. And granted, it's different for each person, um, but it's it's drastically different. And there's so many struggles that that we don't understand are going on in your day to day, into your day to day life. Um, would I you think, be able I to? Sh- mm-hmm. Sorry, go on. Uh, no, go ahead. I think the public perception out there, and and even within my own perception pre-diagnosis, was that mostly we imagine people in later stages of dementia. And so to have, um, uh, probably in Australia, the most feared disease over the age of 65 is dementia. The most feared disease under the age of 65 is cancer, and I'm not sure if that's a worldwide figure. Um, But for people younger who start having cognitive changes and memory loss, those types of things, we don't consider that it might be dementia. So we're not scared to get a diagnosis. In fact, we're desperate to find out what's going on. Um, But most people don't consider that a diagnosis of dementia means that people can still stand up and speak out. Um, I think younger people are diagnosed much earlier than older people with dementia. Um, But most people see external symptoms of dementia. They think of it as a mental illness, which it's not. Um, The word dementia is taken from Latin, originally meaning madness, so no wonder we struggle against the myth. And people with dementia are regularly defined by the symptoms of the disease, forgetful or confused, aggressive, odd behaviour, rather than the people that we still are, which is mothers, fathers, lovers, daughters, wives or husbands, younger people, employees or employers. Um, So mostly people think about our deficits rather than the people that we still are. I think that's a really good comment um, that people do. They they look at what's, what's missing instead of all that is still there because there is so much there. I mean, as the disease progresses, granted that changes. Um, but that changes with all of us throughout life. But we we do, I think, as a society, and I think worldwide, that's just a very, very common way for people to look at things. And it's just, um, it's got to be devastating um, to be, you know, I, I would imagine you you feel that you're being looked down on or not good enough at times. And, and that's, I, I can't even imagine what that does to us. Yeah, it's it's an interesting phenomenon because I'm still speaking out and I've talked to other people with dementia who've experienced this same thing. Um, Richard Taylor's one of them, Christine Bryden in Australia is another one. Because we are still standing up and finding ways to accommodate the disabilities brought on by dementia, some of us are then accused of not having dementia, of lying about our diagnosis, um, 
and then others say, well, you know, it's going to get you in the end, so I don't know why you're bothering to work so hard to overcome the symptoms. So it's a bizarre thing. If, if I'd had a brain injury through a car accident or a stroke and was doing rehabilitation, I'd be applauded if I was doing well with rehab. And I worked really, really hard to accommodate and try and overcome the symptoms of dementia. And rather than being applauded for that, I'm then accused of not having it. It's a really strange phenomenon. Yeah, I, I have actually seen that occur where um, people have said, you know, oh, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way. And, um, in fact, with Richard in particular, somebody said, well, there's no way he can get up there and he can speak like that and he's so clear and concise and the information he's sharing. And I said, but you don't understand. When he goes to the airport, you know, when he's traveling, and, and Richard had shared this with me, that he wears a badge. And in his little mm. kind of conference badge is his itinerary. And when he gets off the flight, yeah. he you know he looks at the big scope of the planes coming and going, and he said, "Lori, I I don't know which I don't know where I'm going. I don't know if I'm coming or going. I'm just hoping the yeah. person who's supposed to meet me there finds me, because it's just yeah, not it's, clicking." It's very true. Um, you know, in the Inspector Lindley murder series book, Inspector Lindley talks about. Uh, his mother being like a swan and he suspected she had Alzheimer's. And Christine Bryden talks about that too. So, uh, you know, having dementia in the earlier stages, we want to look like a swan, calm and serene on the surface. But our pa legs are paddling fast below the surface to make it look okay to others. It feels humiliating and demoralising to show our symptoms. And so we work really, really hard to paddle below the surface. That's a really good way to describe it. I've, I've never heard anybody describe it that way, but it makes a lot of sense because you're trying so hard to fit in. And that, um, there's conversations on some of the social media groups that I'm on right now about just how exhausting that is. You it know? is, yeah. It just, you know, not only... Um, emotionally, but physically. I mean, it just takes everything out of you on on so many different levels. And I, I can only imagine how difficult that is to do um, because we want to fit in and we want to make others feel comfortable. And that's one of the uh, really amazing things, I think, with this disease is people don't know how hard people with dementia are trying to make them comfortable. And how hard they're no, working right. I, I think, you know, for me to, uh, I spoke at a positive psychology conference last week and, uh, you know, I had 20 or 25 minutes to talk um, and I got up and I was well dressed and I, I have to use my notes and I've got notes in front of me all over my desk here just to prompt me. Um, but, of course, your listeners can't see that. And, you know, the people at conference last week couldn't see that I needed prompting in the morning for showering and sometimes I need prompting for getting dressed the right way. Um, and they don't see that I leave, you know, half an hour or an hour earlier because usually now I forget to take things with me. So there's always a trip back home to pick things up. 
um, people don't see that I'm not driving because I still get places. I, I just have to rely on on friends and family to transport me around because my driver's licence was revoked in 2009. Um, so they're all the little things you don't see. And, and to see someone or to listen to someone for a 20-minute period or even now in this interview to listen what's going on behind the scenes or the paddling below is, is for the most part, uh, invisible. Mm-hmm. Well, you're doing a wonderful job. I, I have to I have to tell you that. And I, again, so appreciate um, you taking the time to be on the show with us. But there are, you know, there are some people that have wanted to be on the show and they say, I just can't use the phone, but they can still use the computer. You know, others yeah. say they can use the computer but not the phone. Or, I mean, it, it, every case is different. And we have to just be it, so conscious of that. Yeah, it it is different for everybody. I mean, f- for me to use the phone now, often it takes me four or five times to dial in the right number because I'm reading numbers back to front and upside down. So, um, you know, I persist with that because it's a way of staying connected. Uh, the computer is good for me for writing because my handwriting now is quite impaired and uh, with technology the way that it is um, it, it corrects most of my spelling errors uh, you know it does a lot of that for me without me having to think and uh, I'm lucky that I learnt uh, touch typing as a teenager at school and I haven't lost the sort of touch typing skill yet so you know that's fantastic and it, IT really helps me I'd be lost without it yeah well and you know you have to use whatever modes you know work for you and there shouldn't mm. be any shame um, attached to that because it, it really has nothing to do with how something gets done it's it's the it's the engagement that's important yes yeah. You know, and I, I, I feel, think, I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I feel blessed. I was at university when I was diagnosed as a mature age student because uh, one of my lecturers, who could see I was having trouble, referred me to the disability advisors, and instead of telling me to give up study, they helped me develop strategies to manage the ever-changing disabilities. Um, and so I, I have a lot of uh, assistance at university to get through my courses. Oh, that's fantastic. That's wonderful to hear. That is that is um, that is absolutely fantastic. It's it's nice to see that kind of support um, is available to you. I wish there was yeah. more of that over here in the in the U.S. Um, but uh, the UK seems to be a little bit ahead of us in terms of being dementia friendly, but we're hoping to catch up. <laughs> you know, so we all. I, I we all think have it's only university that. that's dementia friendly. Not much else in our society here is very <laughs> dementia friendly. Um, yes. But you know, there, there are some unique challenges for people with younger onset dementia. Um, mm-hmm. If we need to access residential aged care, 
um, then the accreditation standards are being broken if they accept people under 65 because their services, their decor, their food, their music, their activities are all geared to people over 65. In Australia, we have to have an aged care assessment to be able to access any services, even if it's in-home support. And under the age of 65, we don't qualify to have that assessment. Um, and then there's the stigma and the isolation and the discrimination for people with dementia any age. So the stigma generally means that uh, for those for those of us that, and I liken it to coming out for the gay community, I came out really quickly about having this diagnosis and many of our friends and family have kind of disappeared. They just don't want to engage in our new world. So, you know, that, that's a stigma and that makes it more isolating for me and, and for other people. And then when you put in the factor that you can't drive, um, it's a very lonely existence. And, and then to, you know, it's a terminal illness without credentials. Most people don't understand that it is a terminal illness. And if people with dementia need palliative care services, generally speaking, they're not offered to people with dementia in their later stages of life. Um, then for younger people, of course, I had teenage children when I was diagnosed and elderly parents. So those two groups of people and my husband have to become carers and, and that's a, a huge burden for those members of my family. Um, and there's a significant challenge that I see for particularly younger onset dementia people is that most of us are or were working when we were diagnosed and most of us are told to give up work and in my case give up study and go home and live for the time you've got left. And I term this prescribed disengagement. And why is it that one day I was studying a double degree, working full time and raising a family and volunteering and then told to give up my life as I knew her and start living. If I'd given up paid employment, um, uh, if I'd continued with assistance for my disabilities, I probably could have worked for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, there, I think companies too have to get educated in terms of how do we deal with somebody who is diagnosed early on and how, how can we shift those responsibilities um, as, as the disease progresses. Because a lot of them, you know, are fine um, in certain jobs. Others, you know, not so much. It just depends on the type of position that's there. But I, I think that companies really have to start looking at this seriously and um, and taking it to heart. We had um, one gentleman who told us, you know, he worked in a hospital system, and he had gone in uh, apparently for a physical, was never told that he had dementia, and then he was pulled in uh, to an evaluation, and across his file said dementia, and he was fired. Oh, and he 
And this was in a hospital system, you know, and I can't even imagine, I mean, stress does weird things to all of us, but with somebody with dementia, it really gets complicated sometimes, and to think you have a job one minute and not the next, and then to not have been told. Yeah, that is an example of blatant discrimination. If that man had lost his eyesight, his employers, at least in this country, would be obliged by law to help rehabilitate him and get him back into the workforce. Mm-hmm. And with any other disability, the same. But dementia is is seems to be considered differently. And um, you know, I've been denied positions on uh, boards of companies based on the fact that my memory loss might get in the way of my ability to function. And that is blatant discrimination. Yep. And that that really has to change. And I don't think it will change until people truly understand the disease. I think, like you said earlier, there's so many misconceptions wrapped around the disease. A, that it's an older person and, you know, they, they don't have any idea of all the different variables that you guys struggle with day in and day out and and how things can change um, and how important routines can be um, in terms of being able to complete a task or not complete a task, uh, mm. you know, and the emotional um, impact of everything and how that can really set people in flight. Um, you know, if somebody is really upset or coming at you really attacking um, what what I have found, and, and maybe it's different for you, I think it's different with everybody, but a lot of times they can't understand where that anger is coming from or that frustration, um, and it might not even be directed at them, but they absorb it and get, mm-hmm. and get anxious. Uh, have you ever found that happening to yourself at all? Oh, I think that, you know, we go through the stages of grief over and over again, um, so... Yes, I feel anger sometimes at a, at a new symptom that appears. Um, you know, it's a really complicated grieving process for people with dementia and our families because, unlike, you know, a, a, a maybe a flood or a death, you, it's a terrible, terrible grief that is um, uh, follows after that. But you get over it and you get used to it. And it's not a new grief every day or every other day or every week. So, you know, I just get used to managing maybe some of the memory loss um, symptoms and the strategies that I've started using to, to manage them. And then suddenly that changes. So I have to start all over again or, or a new symptom pops up. And it takes you right back to almost day one of diagnosis. Um, so it's like being at sea on a on a little boat, and some days it's calm, and other days it's lots of undercurrents underneath, and other days it's a mighty storm with lots of tears and lots of thunder. Um, so it's a strange experience. Can I ask how your family adjusted? Um, even starting with your parents, that ha- you know has to be just a strange phenomenon because most people think again it's an older person's disease. So how can my how can my child have this disease? Yeah. Um, well, I think to start with, my parents were probably 
in shock about it. Um, Dad, uh, my father's still not that comfortable even talking about the D word. Um, my mother was interviewed in 2009 and she said she was horrified and angry when she was told of my dementia and she said it was an anger that she'd never felt before, one that she thought would never go away. Then the anger subsided, she said, and I was left with a deep, deep sadness. I cannot contemplate what lies ahead. And I'm reading that from uh, something that, uh, where she was interviewed. So in our relationships have changed. My children mostly act as if nothing is wrong and they manage any obvious changes as best they can. Um, our way in, in my immediate family is to use humour. Um, for example, when they were still living at home and I was first diagnosed, they would introduce me to their friends as the Dementor in the family from the Harry Potter books. <laughs> and some people would look a bit shocked at that, but we kind of thought that was funny. Uh -huh. um, and in fact, if you've seen the Harry Potter movies, for me, the Dementors perfectly represent in a visual way how it feels inside, as if the dementia is sucking the life and goodness out of my soul. And I've used that analogy almost since being diagnosed and I looked up what the Harry Potter site says of Dementors. Um, and I might, can I read that out? Oh, please, please. A, a Dementor is a dark creature considered one of the foulest to inhabit the world. Dementors feed off human happiness and thus cause depression and despair to anyone near them. They can also consume a person's soul, leaving their victims in a permanent vegetative state and thus are often referred to as soul-sucking fiends and are known to leave a person as an empty shell. For me, that's said it all. Wow, is that powerful? It's profound. You know, when I, when I found that definition on the Harry Potter, I think it was the Wiki Potter site, um, it just, it slapped me in the face because that's exactly what it's like. Um, for me, I find that my writing, uh, my poetry and my blogging has helped to restore that empty shell because my written words, they're not only a record, a record of my life, but they're a window into my, into my soul and a way of refilling that empty shell. Uh, you know, my husband, um, he lives with an ever-deepening sorrow as he watches from the sidelines. Um, he tries to support me without minimising me and I nicknamed him Bub about 12 months ago and Bub stands for backup brain. Uh, oh. he and I don't like <laughs> you do have a good sense of humour. <laughs> Yeah, we don't like the term carer because he says, I've always cared for you. I cared for you before I married you. Um, and we just feel that backup brain is a better way of, of of thinking about him being by my side. So if you imagine a computer, you have a uh, maybe a hard disk or something that you back up your files onto 
um, and I back up everything that I do now. So and I keep all emails from everybody. I, I don't delete anything because um, if I need to communicate with somebody, then often I need to go back to you know the various emails they've sent me. Um, but like a backup on a computer, you don't use the backup all the time. You only need it when when the main drive crashes. So he stands on the sidelines trying not to minimise me. But he tries to hide and block out his grief as we try and live the best way that we can. But there are days I can see the intense sadness in his eyes and feel it in his hug. Um, sometimes he sits and holds his head in his hands or stares at me when he thinks I'm not looking. Um, we email each other a lot because that way we've got a track of our conversations for me. And in an email last year he wrote, I know I'm losing you and I'm afraid of what the future holds. You know, that's deeply sad, but that's our life and we have to live with that. Well, and it's nice that you're able to communicate um, even the pain. You know, because that's that's important in that that sense of loss because you're you're both, I would imagine, feeling it, and um, you know that that connection. I think that's one of the the most difficult things with this disease is there are so many levels of loss that you don't um, <clears throat> you don't get with a lot of other diseases, but and you don't know when it's coming, and you don't know how it's going to show up. Um, no. And you you really can't prepare for it because it's just a, a constant. Um, you know, with my mom, she's had she's had memory loss uh, for 30 years, and so you know I look at the disease actually as a gift because through those losses, it's also allowed me to love at deeper levels and communicate Absolutely. on levels that I didn't know existed. And so yeah. her, her disease has really been a true gift to me and changed the way I look at all of life. Um, and I think I look at life much better. I think I am more grateful and more appreciative. Um, I think I'm much more accepting and less judgmental. And I was one that I didn't think I was real judgmental. But looking back, it was like, oh, yeah, I thought life should just boom, 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 you know, be like this. I'm much yeah. more spontaneous. I can go with the flow I I want to laugh more. I want to play more. Um, life is more valuable to me. I it, I don't know if that might sound really weird, but and I've never said that before, but it, that just kind of popped out. But life has more value to me since this yeah. disease. Well, I, I think, I think that I mm-hmm. I can confidently say that that we've had that experience. I, I'm not sure my husband it as a gift but I actually feel like it has been a gift for me it has made me value life more deeply it's made me um, more loving and more expressive of of my love Um, and you know sure some of our friends have disappeared but when you have other experiences in your life like, like divorce or you know, other crises, sometimes friends disappear then too. So it's not because they're bad people, it's just because they don't know how to cope with a diagnosis of the younger onset dementia. Um, 
But, you know, it's definitely given me a much deeper, deeper uh, meaning to life. Yeah, I, I, um, I know a lot of times people have a really hard time laughing in the face of illness. And, and with dementia, you know, they take it very seriously. And, and I was one of those, too. You know, it was like, it's not funny. You know, we just... It, and then I don't know what changed or when it changed with me. It was like, no, oh, this is funny. We need to laugh. <laughs> you know, and my mom would be right there laughing. And we weren't laughing at her. But if 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 some of these things happened to anybody else in the family or any other friends, we would be split in the gut, you know. Yes. And And so we got back to being normal, really. And because I think laughter is so important in relationships. I mean, it gives us that balance and that yeah. ability to, to move forward. Um, very important. Um, how about your, your kids? You said they kind of do the, the best, you know, that they can with the disease. Um, did, you tell, did you tell your children right away? We, we have a very, very open family, and we always have. Um, in fact, my little family's a Brady Bunch. My husband and I were both single parents and our sons introduced us to each other when they were five and four and a half. Um, so I'd actually known my oldest son um, since he was three and a half. And um, we've had a really open relationship with them from day one and you know we sat them down and talked them through it and, and um, my youngest son you know is good, but, but that's a funny old person's disease mum you can't have that uh, and that's kind of what people think it's a funny old person's disease mm-hmm. um, but, but I think that mostly they're 22 and 23 now Mostly they don't think about it. They don't live at home now and haven't for quite some time. So it's only if they're here and we have family meals often and it's only if a symptom kind of slaps them in the face that brings them back to reality and, and then they find it a little bit confronting. When our youngest came back from his 12 months of living in London gap year, of course, he'd forgotten all about the symptoms of dementia and he was living home initially. And um, after a couple of months, he had a bit of a dummy spit at me and he said, Oh, God, Mum, I've told you that over and over and over today. And then he looked at me and he just burst into We both burst into tears and he said, Oh, Mum, I'm sorry, I forgot. You can't help that you're forgetting. Mm-hmm. And so, it, so then it's easy to forget and, unless it slaps them in the face. Mm-hmm. And that's how young people live, of course. They're getting on with their lives, and that's how it should be. Yep, yep, exactly. Well, I think that, that is, uh, that's a great way that you approach that. I've had, you know, on my blog I get so many people, and, and even on the show and through Dementia Chats, people asking, when do we tell our family and friends? You know, they... They really, no one talks about when do you tell them and how do you tell yeah. them. And it's, yeah. you know, it's a conversation people need to know. Uh, we didn't tell people with my mom, you know, 30 years ago. We kind of hid it and we didn't yeah. even know we were hiding it. I mean, it, it, yeah. that didn't even hit me until that, until I got mad that people weren't 
getting it. And then it, then it hit me like, well, Lori, you've never told them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and for older people, there is such a stigma about, you mm-hmm. about a diagnosis of dementia. I've got many elderly friends who I know have probably got Alzheimer's disease but um, or, or a dementia, but um, they don't even want to talk about it. And I guess if they're managing to get through their lives, some of them have partners that support them. Um, really, over the age of 75, what does it matter whether you're diagnosed or not? Mm-hmm. I think if you're managing. Um, but for younger people, we never expect that it's going to be dementia. Um, so, yeah. you know, we seek diagnosis. Well, that's, yeah, and it's, it's you know, the face is just changing so quickly out there. I uh, Where my mom is at at the nursing home, I mean, I, I have been just shocked just in the last the people in their, their um, 50s and, um, and 40s with the disease. It's just been absolutely incredible, um, the difference in terms of, of age of, of people. Unbelievable, yeah. absolutely unbelievable. And um, there was somebody on social media the other day saying their son in their 20s was diagnosed with dementia. And you know, yeah. with, there's more research now with the the head injuries and you know alcohol related. And there's so many different exactly. types of, of dementia that people really have to you know kind of get a grip with all of this and. And understand it on a on a deeper level. How do you keep yourself so positive, Kate? I, I'm just enjoying talking to you so much. You are, are just filled with so many wonderful insights. And and um, in your book, we, we definitely have to talk about your book because it's absolutely incredible. And um, it's you. a book I highly highly recommend. Um, Love, life, and loss: a roller coaster of poetry. And you just really have a nice way with the pen um, in terms of capturing those moments and those feelings and and pulling your audience right in, you know, with you. Um, has writing um, helped you in terms of um, in terms of, I guess, keeping your sanity and and feeling positive? Yeah, I, I, I consider. I've been journaling. Um, more so in the tough times in my life for a long time. Um, and uh, I really believe that daily writing, uh, even if it's in just a notebook, if people aren't computer literate, but daily writing and for me blogging is therapeutic and it is absolutely one of my non-pharmacological and positive psychosocial interventions for dementia. So for me, just like a daily blood pressure tablet, which I do take, or for someone who's a diabetic, a jab of insulin, for me, I see daily writing as a part of my therapeutic regime. And, you know, ironically, the latest IT writing tools, that is the iPads, are often referred to as tablets. So I take my tablet for my high blood pressure and then I write on my tablet as part of my therapy. Um, and, uh, you know, I have a, a private journal where I write out all of the really tough stuff, 
and mm-hmm. then I have a public blog um, that it's a more contrived and considered writing and most of the write, the daily blogging, most of that is about what it's like living with dementia. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's about completely other things, uh, different things, but I do find that it's therapeutic. Um, years ago I went to a psychologist for um, some problems I was having and he asked me to start writing a daily journal, even if it was just two minutes a day. And when I went back to him a fortnight later, he asked me the journal, and I said, oh, I haven't got around to it yet. And he said, oh, well, I'll give you one more chance. At your third meeting, if you haven't started your journal, I'm not going to waste my time or your money seeing you. And that's how important this older psychologist thought that writing was. Um, You know, expression could be done through painting art or poetry or other creative methods but I really think that it's a very important tool to help get out the hurt and the grief and the anger um, so that you can actually live your life. You know, dementia might be a terminal illness but why die now? Why not try and work on all of those negative symptoms using something like positive psychology so that you can still live a life that's worthwhile. And that's just my way of seeing it. Well, and there's so much um, through your writing and and through your advocacy that you are, I mean, it's a healing process, like you said, for yourself, but it helps the rest of us understand what this disease is like. And there are so many times when um, through Dementia Chats or the radio show, Um, people will call in and ask a question and they'll say, I can't ask this to my loved one, but I need insight. And they're so thankful to be able to talk to somebody who really knows. And then they go back home and can adjust things. But they don't, you know, they're worried about offending or upsetting somebody and are getting into a fight. And so... Um, being an advocate and being a resource for us is, I mean, it's gold to the rest of us. It, it's just yeah. such a commodity. Um, you know, I'm I'm so grateful for so many of your voices, um, and it's nice to see more and more people feeling more comfortable talking out loud about. Oh, it's, you know, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, earlier uh, last year, um, I online friend uh, Kay Bransford and I started a blog called The Dementia Dialogue and we haven't been doing it weekly but um, she's a carer for elderly parents with dementia and obviously I'm a person living with it and uh, we've been following each other's blogs and then we decided to set this new blog up um, where she asked me a question that she wants to know about what it's like from the person with dementia's point of view and then I answer her question and then vice versa, I ask her a question. So it's a slowly evolving website that that might be interesting for your listeners to have a look at as well. There's a link to it on my blog. Okay. Yeah, that would be be wonderful for people to to check out, definitely. so can you talk about some of the different advocacy platforms that you do? 
Um, you mentioned yeah, your I can. Um, mm-hmm. uh, when I first started speaking out, um, a uh, nursing home group had asked uh, Alzheimer's Australia in my state if they knew of somebody with dementia who would come and talk to their caring and nursing staff. And I had an article that had been published in a magazine here called Dementia, My New World. Um, So they asked me to speak out and I was a bit nervous about doing it. So we read out my published article first and then I elaborated a bit more on my personal story and then asked questions, the audience then asked me questions. Um, And... That kind of snowballed, so then I started talking to uh, at public forums about dementia and conferences, and I spoke last year at the Alzheimer's Disease International Conference in London. There three presentations there, and I was keynote speaker for the Alzheimer's New Zealand Future Faces of Dementia Conference last year. Um, so speaking out, it, it brings with it some frustration because there are those people that come up and actively accuse you of not having dementia, but then there are the you know the hundreds of other people like yourself um, who appreciate what we're saying. And you know, Richard Taylor has really been my shining light. And whenever I feel like giving up, when it gets too hard, or I feel too tired, I think of Richard and what he's going through now on top of his dementia, and I go, well, I have to keep speaking out while I've still got a voice inside me. Um, Twelve months ago, I, or 18 months ago, I had this random idea to do a performance at the Adelaide Fringe Festival, uh, and this time last year, I put on four 90-minute shows uh, of a store of my story called my unseen disappearing world uh, and we I used the funds from that um, 50 percent went of, uh, of the revenue went to um, uh, a dementia research project and the other half went to an organization called the big issue for the homeless that I'm involved in volunteering for and that that was a really interesting um, experience. I, I still don't know why I did it, but it felt right at the time. But it reached a much wider audience as far as, uh, you know, if you're trying to get public awareness and public education, a lot of my children's younger friends came to the last show, and some of those people then Facebook friended me, quite a lot of them, and started communicating with me saying, gosh, we had no idea what dementia was like. I'm going to be a better grandson to my nan. Or we had no idea what Charles or Matt was going through. We're going to try and be a better friend. And then there were some young kids who were nursing students who friended me on Facebook and said, oh, you know, you've inspired us to want to do nursing in aged care. So, you know, there were some interesting outcomes from that show and I felt like I ticked a lot of boxes as far as public advocacy and awareness and and I'm really glad that I did it, even though the load on me and on my family was actually 
I hadn't thought about what a load it was going to be, but for my husband and children to sit there, they were my production company, to sit there every night and listen to not my story but our story in a public venue was incredibly difficult for them. Um, But, you know, it was a worthwhile thing to do and I'm glad that I did it. Uh, and wow. you know, my poetry book, um, that's not all about dementia as you would have read, but um, writing about dementia is important and speaking about it is important because there's so few people with dementia. It's a voice that's been missing in our society. You know, um, A lot of organisations have this slogan, nothing about us without us. And I was attending dementia conferences and forums and workshops run by people telling me how I was and what was best for me without asking me. So surely it's the right time for people with dementia to stand up and speak out. Uh, and Richard, you know, he's one of the first people in the world to have started that and he deserves all the applause that he gets. Yeah, he's he's just been incredible in terms of of shifting the care culture and um, telling it like it is and not, you know, I mean, and and he's not worried if somebody gets mad at him for speaking his piece. No, he's not. No, I'm not anymore either. And I I think that that is something that that we need to hear. Now, it looks like we might have a caller on the line. Would you mind taking a question? No, not at all. Okay, let me see here. We've got somebody from our 508. I'll take that off, so I'm not sure who that was. Oh, well, we tried. No, I'm not sure. I didn't understand that at all. <clears throat> Me neither. Me neither. Uh, every once in a while, we'll get a prank caller, and there's not a whole lot we can do about it. So there might maybe they had something on hold, too. Who knows? And that's just what they listen to. Um, do you have a, a, a favorite poem at all that you would like to share with people from your book? Or um, Yeah, I, well, I, I've got a poem that I wrote early on. Um, I was doing a poetry course at university, and uh, I wrote this in response to another lady's poem, an older lady who'd written a poem when she was diagnosed. Um, and this this really is what it's like. Um, so the poem's called Stolen Dreams. Stolen dreams smashed against the solid brick wall, disappearing into nothingness, feeling cheated, angry, deeply sad. The six words that created my new world. What bad luck, you have dementia. This train is racing down a one-way lane. No chance to get off. No chance of anyone getting on. Never to return to the place I once knew. Tears escaping from swollen eyes down blotchy cheeks. The taste of salt. A permanent flavour. My soulmate, angry and crying, both feeling cheated. We were two sides of the same coin knowing each other intimately and completely, best mates and passionately in love, 
aware of each other's thoughts before they were spoken, conscious of each other's inner world as sadness or joy, our new world, collapsing into one of fear and trepidation. Somehow we must find the good in yet another crisis. Our love will get us through. It has before. But the effort will be gigantic. The world at the other end is too scary to think about. He said, I will hate it when I forget who he is. Then he said, with a sense of deep despair, Please don't call me by your ex-husband's name. And at this we laughed out loud, even as the gravity of this new world hit us between the eyes like a piercing hot needle. That is, that's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. You really do have a nice, nice way of, of drawing us a picture and um, being able to feel the pain and the joy and even that laughter and that, you know, don't call me your ex-husband's name. You know. Well, it, it I, kind of was a funny moment. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, there are things that that you, we do struggle with those those things. Um, we've had a lot of friends that we've got to know who are couples where one of them has dementia and uh, last year, in the last, I don't know, last quarter of last year, say, um, three husbands with younger onset dementia died. Uh, so three of these couples that we know and uh, one had been uh, given a similar prognosis for me but he had outlived really his prognosis and he did a lot of the non-pharmacological and positive interventions that I do um, and then suddenly the tide changed and he went downhill rapidly uh, and obviously died and you know that's what is always the monkey on our back I'm doing quite well now and in fact my last MRI showed very minimal change from the 12 months before whereas the 12 months before had shown quite a significant deterioration. Um, but is next week or tomorrow going to be the day that the train takes off? We don't know. So that is like living with a black monkey on your back. You, just don't, you don't know what's around that corner. Um, and yeah. as a registered nurse very kindly took me aside after a presentation and she said, look, I know you're working hard to fight the disease, but it will get you in the end. And I guess whenever we lose, you know, a friend of ours loses someone with dementia, that thought comes back to mind. When is it going to be my turn? Um, but I might get hit by a bus next week. So you can't, you can't afford to live with that fear all of the time. You, you have to live life uh, you know, every day as if it's your last, just in case it is. Yeah, definitely. You, you you do. You have to put things in perspective um, because you just you just don't know what's what exactly no, you don't know. happen. And and I think again, that's one of the gifts of this disease is it allows you to let go of thinking that you're in control when you're really not. And um, 
you know, that's that's been huge. Now, it looks like we've got several other callers on the line, so let me see what we come up with this time here. Sure. Okay, we've got somebody from the Caribbean, it says. You're live and on the air. Did you have a question? Apparently not. Apparently we are just having a bunch of kids that are trying to play tonight. Yeah, apparently. Haven't had that happen before, but um, that's too bad. So, oh well, not much we can do. Again, that's one of the things dementia teaches us is to roll roll with the punches here and and just move on. Um, well, it's just been such a pleasure and such an interesting conversation to to have you join us here today. I really do very much appre- appreciate you taking the time um, to be with us. Um, there was one other question you had um, that I kind of wanted to talk with you about, if you still have a little bit of time, and that sure. is on um, non-pharmacological interventions and what your thoughts are in terms of that. Well, uh, I think that um, whoever's diagnosed with dementia, um, even if it's an Alzheimer's disease type where there is some medication to slow the disease down. There isn't anything there that's a cure, and I think that we're not in my lifetime are we going to see a cure for dementia. Um, you know, I've been alive for a long time now, and we still don't have a cure for cancer, and think of all the money and the research that's been done about that. Um, so uh, with no pharmacological interventions available to me, I had no choice but to look at other interventions and so, you know, I read uh, Norman Doidge's book about the brain that changes itself and I've read a lot about neuroplasticity and, uh, you know, I tried some of those brainy apps and other, what I call ridiculous things for stretching my brain cells but for me I continued to study and that to me was a really meaningful uh, and engaging way to push my neuroplasticity and I use uh, phenomenology which is a, a you know type of philosophy it's just about writing about my experience um, and I find that healing so uh, you know in the neuroplasticity brain training I also do neuroplasticity with uh, body work. So I go to a brain injury unit doing hydrotherapy a couple of times a week and uh, the exercises I do are back to front to everybody else or in a peculiar way so that it pushes my brain to work harder. Um, The poetry that I've started writing the last 12 months uh, I'm writing the Japanese haikus because they push my brain to uh, get a poem down to you know five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. Um, and then I have looked at uh, my nutrition and some supplements, and I use mind mapping to help me work my way my way through. Uh, everything now um, and I use music therapy so um, there are lots of things that I do Um, you know I've been told I'm lucky that 
my dementia is progressing slowly, but I don't see it as luck. I see it as hard work. So, you know, I exercise six days a week. I've given up processed sugar completely. You know, so a glass of wine versus no sugar and still being able to speak, to me that's not optional. Um, and then I use positive psychology, so um, the positive psychosocial things that, uh, you know, I, I, Dr. Martin Seligman's PERMA principles, which stands for positive emotion, engagement, positive relationships, meaning and accomplishment. Um, and that's really important for me, you know, in the search for my own humanity, I found that reaching out to others through volunteering has been absolutely paramount to my own emotional health. You know, the power of seeing somebody worse off than me is empowering and keeps my life in perspective. You know, I've been to visit people who live under a bridge in cardboard boxes and I live in a lovely home with a supportive husband. So how lucky am I? Yep. And that's a, that's a wonderful yes, way to look at it. And I think it's yeah. just um, fan, fantastic that you've, um, you know, all that you are accomplishing and continue to accomplish. And, you know, you're, you're not giving up on going to school and you're marching ahead and, um, you know, you're, you're utilizing these other tools. I think the, the non-pharmacological interventions are so critical and I think we need to teach more people, um, just even letting them know that they're available and how to use them, like the simple thing of music or meditation. Yeah. Um, oh, well, I mean, I, 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 I do transcendental meditation and I um, went to a psychologist to teach me self-hypnosis, so rather than use, uh, I had some other health issues which result in chronic pain and rather than use uh, high-end drugs for pain relief, I use self-hypnosis because the pharmacological drugs actually make the symptoms of dementia worse. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a body of clinical evidence slowly growing to support the non-pharmacological and positive psychosocial interventions uh, and it's being done by respected medical doctors and neuroscientists and physiotherapists you know, what's been missing from research is how to help people with a diagnosis of dementia to achieve well-being or quality of life and how to maintain this for as long as possible. So I think, you know, as health professionals generally refuse to believe anecdotal evidence of patients who've healed themselves using alternative interventions, it, we need the evidence-based research to get them to support options that do work for some people and could work for many people if they were offered and supported as mainstream interventions. You know, I find it fascinating that most people will believe in a God miracle, even non-Christians, but not a cure or delayed prognosis brought on by positive psychosocial or non-pharmacological interventions. I find that fascinating. That is really interesting. I, I never thought of it in that light, but yeah, that really is very fascinating. Um, and I it's think part of it has to do with the the lack of education and um, 
you know, we don't talk about a lot of this stuff. It, it doesn't get the press that it needs to get. And we have been so, you know, and we don't have lobbyists on all these other platforms either like we do for the drug companies and, That's and, wrong. and people just think, well, it's easier with a pill, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, it is easier with a pill if it worked, and there were no pill options for me, so, um, um, you know, Groucho Marx is one of my, well, all of the Marx brothers um, are, you know, some of my comedy heroes, and he once said, I don't care to belong to a club that accepts people like me as members. And well, I guess I feel that way about dementia, but I've got no choice. So the best way I can survive and live my life is to laugh as much as possible and to try and ignore the negatives. And, you know, I, I try and remember that life's not a dress rehearsal. So I've got to live to the best of my ability now. Definitely. I'm going to try one more caller and we'll see. And then I'm, then I'm going to um, have to get our second guest on, but we'll see you. Um, I've got somebody from a 508 number. We'll try one more time and see. Uh, you're live on the air. Did you have a question for Kate? Hello? Okay, apparently not, so that's okay. Not a problem. Um, well, um, Kate, now for people to get a hold of you, it looks like the easiest way is just to go to your website, which is www. Kate, and that's K-A-T as in Tom, E as in Edward, S as in Sam, W-A-F-F-E-R.com, and uh, they can go ahead um, and contact you from there. They can get information on your book. They can go to your blog. And, um, you know, I really do encourage people to to find this book and um and give it a give it a read. Um Love, Life, Loss, a roller coaster of poetry. It's absolutely gorgeous and I thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Laurie, and uh, um thank you for your show. It's wonderful. Great. I look forward to talking to you in the future. Okay? Thanks, Laurie. Bye bye now. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. I'm going to go ahead and introduce our, our next guest here. Um, and she is coming all the way from, excuse me, Saudi Arabia. So we've got a, a wonderful show for you today. She has developed a new application that I think is going to be fascinated, uh, fascinating for people. And her name is Raad Sheikh, and she is the founder of Touching Care. Um, She found through her own personal experiences with Alzheimer's as a caregiver that caregivers experience and suffer from high levels of depression, which are derived from many, many factors and many feelings of loneliness and isolation and lack of emotion and social support, which can really lead to poor quality of life. And um, she just was inspired to, um, to take her... Her, her wisdom and her knowledge, she is um, extremely talented, and I won't even get into all of her credentials, but she was um, picked out of 16,000 people to be in a special study at her, her school, and um, she's just a very talented, um, interesting woman that I, I'm so thrilled that she 
um, developed this application that uses the power of reminiscing and provides comprehension, comprehensive information and tools and resources um, that are just so important, you know, for that social and emotional support when you're caring for a loved one. So welcome to the show. I'm going to turn your mic on here. How are you doing today, Raoul? Hi, Rodi. Great pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for uh, oh. you know, for hosting your amazing show. Oh well, I'm I'm thrilled that you're able to join us. Can you, you know, I want you to tell people, you know, what exactly is um, touching care, and you know, how did it get started? Um, you know, if you can kind of take us from scratch, on um, what motivated you to do this? Now, this is me, like, uh, I started uh, um, since uh, 2010 working on the application. Um, as I applied for, um, uh, I, I got awarded with a seed fund of the entrepreneurship award from my university. And uh, I was, because, like, Alzheimer's like, disease, uh, such a member of my family, my grandmother had Alzheimer's. So I was, like, you know, kind of in direct caregiver where I, I was, you know, seeing all the sufferings and all, like, the, the, the daily challenges, uh, like, uh, my family is going, like, through uh, um, uh, caring for, for my grandmother. Uh, so that's why when I got uh, received awards for my um, idea was uh, to develop an application that aims to increase the quality of life of caregivers and their loved ones and to help them, help them to maintain a good quality of life and, and to create also a dimension in the community uh, through the use of uh, non-pharmacological methods and remedies as well as the, uh, uh, the uh, empowering caregivers with tools to, to help them um, have knowledge about the disease, create awareness, uh, change experiences, as well as regulate activities of their uh, Alzheimer's uh, patients and their loved ones. Uh, so uh, since uh, and uh, ever uh, since 2010, I've been, as I told you, like really working on the application. Um, I named this section change, and um, like, and it's, uh, it's a mobile application that works on Apple uh, devices. Um, uh, hopefully, I will expand to Android and others in the near future, but currently it's in Apple devices. And it's uh, to support the entire ecosystem, like the Alzheimer's patients, the caregivers, and physicians. And, uh, and uh, the way it does that, that it has a special missions and uh, comprehensive customized management and cognitive stimulation tool that helps to reduce caregivers' burden and stimulate Alzheimer's patients cognitively. Uh, through the use of the management tools, uh, the music, the video, the audio, the recordings, uh, which is uh, proved uh, scientifically that such uh, areas of the brain where memory and, and uh, you know, health lies. Um, so, uh, so that, uh, or, so the main thing, like, Flora, I created this application is, it's not, it's not going to cure Alzheimer's because Alzheimer's still, like, it's, it's an incurable disease, uh, unfortunately, till now. But the main, the, the main cause of this, like, initiative and this application is I really wanted, uh, I really believe strongly that the quality of life of the caregivers and uh, the loved ones uh, of Alzheimer's patients, like, uh, they deserve to have a good quality of life and they deserve to have a community and society that embrace them and uh, love them and treat them with respect and uh, honor them. Uh, so and their and their life does not have to end, you know, and deteriorate following the diagnosis of the disease. They can 
still maintain a good quality of life and enjoy every and celebrate every day. Uh, you know, by uh, by being surrounded with love and support and and having the really social and emotional support which you are doing and 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 Kate and a lot of like uh, people like you are 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 doing. And uh, I'm trying to do through my uh, touch and care application as well. See this dementia friendly community that we all need. Okay. Um, when it comes to, you know, somebody wanting to get this so they would go to the Apple store then to download it, is that how they how they would get that? Uh, basically, uh, yes, uh, currently the application that can get is available uh, in, uh, in, in Apple Store. Yeah, they can go to Apple Store if they have accounts. It's available in both iPhone and iPad, and they, uh, they can like, download it. And it's available now in four languages, uh, English and, uh, and Arabic and French and Spanish, uh, will be released in the coming uh, two, two weeks. Okay. And... Um uh, my phone is breaking up a little bit, so I apologize. So I, um, if we can break down some of the um, different features of the phone, I don't know if it was breaking out for, for others as well, but if we can take them, you know, kind of one by one slowly in terms of how would a family member utilize, the, you know, this this app. Can they use it for communication um, between family members at all or... Yeah, uh, it's basically the application already. It holds a uh, care application holds uh, other tools like caregivers, the environment patients, and physicians. Uh, uh, for example, uh, caregivers it helps them by uh, the uh, providing them and empowering them with tools to help them regulate the activities of their uh, of their patients. Um, uh, particularly in having like you know a timetable or blueprints for medication where care providers can organize activities and keep track of, of dates and times and uh, uh, of taking medication. Uh, similarly, to nutrition, the nutrition, the blood tests, uh, the changes in behavior, um, the sleeping pattern. Also, uh, they can uh, generate a user-friendly chart and graph and uh, uh, plot and uh, track uh, as well as record like certain uh, uh, indicators that is important to capture by the caregivers uh, with regard to patient's health and overall condition. Uh, for example, the sleeping pattern, the weight, the temperature, the blood glucose, and, and so on. Uh, so it helps them also, uh, not only that, but also helps caregivers to uh, maturely communicate and collab- uh, to, 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 to social network with each other uh, because I really believe that uh, the, the the value and uh, the social and emotional support that caregivers receive by mutually interacting with each other is less changing. Uh, especially that uh, I, I visited a lot of Alzheimer's institutions in the U.S. and I visited Alzheimer's institutions in the U.S. and uh, Boston and New York chapter. And I, I went to visit the Alzheimer's Disease uh, International in London um, and uh, met Mr. Mark Goldman there. And uh, I met a lot of caregivers in the Middle East and Lebanon and, and uh, different parts of the world. And a lot of them, they really have, um, they have a lot of challenges and problems, but mainly the, the main things they all complain about is the lack of social and emotional support and uh, uh, feeling isolated, isolated and depressed and uh, lack of control in their life. So uh, that is why, like, uh, such a care, like, uh, I, I, I tried as much as I can to include um, features that help to organize the, the, the daily activities for their loved ones to, to, to reduce their burden 
and help them also to keep the knowledge and support uh, from uh, from other and students created by social media. Um, uh, this is for caregivers. For uh, Alzheimer's patients, it helps them, as I said, through the use of the medicines. Uh, there is uh, the application have uh, include photo albums where caregivers can carry pictures of their loved ones in a, chrono in a chronological order. Uh, it also includes, uh, uh, in your, in, you know, videos, audios, the music. Uh, for example, I can organize all the music that, like uh, my grandmother likes, you know, the art, the video, the films, uh, everything that would help to uh, bring back her old memory, you know, and, and remember all this wonderful memory and, and special relationship and special moments. Moments. And uh, also, it has that the users of the application have like games, just very simple games, matching games and, and puzzles where it helps also to, uh, to, especially any stage and have patients to simulate their brain. So, with regard to uh, the physicians, it helps physicians, uh, this application care application helps physicians a lot in terms of uh, making efficient use of their time. Because there is a lot of physicians and geriatrics, and they, they, and during the, uh, the last year uh, GSA uh, meetings in, in Boston, and like a lot of them, they told me they, they spend a lot of time just asking the caregiver, uh, uh, like what, what the patient had, what did he eat, uh, what, uh, you know, his daily schedule, activities, medication, and so on. And, and it's time consumable. That's why, like, having the patient care application where such an application where uh, the caregiver can like have track everything in terms of activities, nutrition, medication, um, and the generate user can be graph and chart, and they can also send it to doctor. They send it to a real doctor in, in New York, and we are in Boston. Like we can just send it by email, and he can see all these records and all these details, and can they and he can provide the doctor can provide a better diagnosis, as well as you know better. Track the, the condition and, and you know the, the, the overall medical condition of the of the patient. Uh, okay. Which helps a lot in in in, in the disease. So does it? Do they like email a form then from this application to the doctor, or does the doctor just have access to it? Yeah. Uh, with regard to doctors. Uh, the doctors can have like um, I would really love to have like doctors' contribution and and experts like you, Lori, and 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 people like you know have have like knowledge about uh, the disease to uh, to go. They can, for example, like uh, doctors. You know, they are very busy, but they can go, for example, uh, log in and post you know an article, uh, a new research, uh, a tip of the day, start a discussion. So other caregivers can, you know, and any stage of how patients can interact, you know. So we can create this this atmosphere, you know, of exchanging knowledge and information and dementia, dementia kids, uh, you know, friendly community. Uh, and uh, caregivers can really help them benefit a lot from doctors' comments and discussions. Um, so, so doctors and experts in, in this field can really contribute a lot to, to the application by, you know, posting useful comments, useful tips. Uh, uh, daily tips, uh, anything you know, they, they article, they come across, they think that it would be useful to, to spread the, the word about it. It would be something great. Um, uh, it helps uh, uh, a lot for the caregivers and the patients, and uh, doctors, uh, as I told you, like, they, they would benefit uh, also in terms of, of you know, uh, better tracking the, the, the entire medical 
condition of the patients and enhancing the communication between them and the patients. Especially that the caregiver doesn't bring the patients every week and they see them maybe a few weeks or months. So this would be a helpful tool for them to, for all of them to much really collaborate. Okay. Wonderful. Do you have any future um, upcoming plans uh, for uh, for additions with with this or any other type of app that you're considering? Future plans in terms of what? Are are you do you have um, any future plans coming up for maybe developing another application or making any add-ons to this current one? Uh, yeah, uh, my aim is, uh, uh, yes, yeah, my aim is to create, as I told you, uh, a dementia-friendly community. And uh, I, I think, like, uh, like uh, I wanted to expand the application, do it in other platforms like Android uh, and, uh, and uh, BlackBerry. Uh, also, to enhance the application by adding more features and functionalities, um, so continuously uh, respond to user requests and, you know, um, enhance it better. Also, like providing in other languages now, it's available in four languages. But also, like in the future, I um, I aim to uh, I want to add like uh, additional languages. Um, uh, I believe also like um, I wanted also to to uh, the application have like a volunteer section where volunteers can you know have upload their data and they can uh, communicate with the association. Um, so uh, yeah, there is like a, you know a lot of plans in terms of expanding the existing app, and, and there is always a room of you know improvements and adding new features and functionalities. So uh, that you know would, would benefit uh, the caregivers, the physicians, and the patients. Okay, wonderful. Was there anything else that you wanted to share with our audience at all regarding your application, or have we covered it all? Uh, yeah, uh, thank, thank you so much for your support and for your really providing me the opportunity to to really uh, uh, to have the, uh, the the chance and the opportunity to, to talk to, to to people in US, uh, which which a country I really really love. Um, like I'm planning to be in in Boston, like since the AAIC conference, which is gonna take place in July. With, uh, it's a conference organized by the Al Hamad Association. And uh, I, I would uh, I would like to invite like uh, people to to caregivers and and uh, you know people like who really uh, you know um, uh, associated with uh, this uh, disease or not someone who is going through uh, through this is to to benefit from patient care and download it through Apple uh, uh, Store in order to uh, to help create this dementia friendly community and um, help other uh, patients and caregivers. To 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 know better, communicate, and enrich their life. Wonderful. And the best way for them to find out more information would be to go directly to your website. Would that be correct? The um, touchingcare.com? Yeah. Okay. They can just write, I would like also to invite them, uh, everyone to, to like my Facebook page and have more time. <laughs> Okay, so, so they can go to IPC care. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they can write just touching care and Facebook and they will find the, like, the Facebook uh, fan page of uh, touching care. And uh, I would really like all some all the comments uh, and all the feedback uh, uh, because this application is created for them and to improve the quality of life. And it's, 
a national, he's on the National Advisory Council. So we've got um, several great shows lined up for you, and I hope you'll be able to join us. In the meantime, remember, it's about progress, not perfection. Have a great day. Bye now. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.